Hello, we're your hosts. I'm Archie Bays. I'm Carrie Hopper. And this episode is the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. 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 <laughs> now, I have to be upfront here. During my history research of this, I came across an article titled The Horrifying History of the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum by Katie Serena, posted on allthatsinteresting.com. And I found the article to be one of the, that's interesting. Well, one of the better reads of anything I've come across. Really? Okay. So pretty much most of the information I got for this was from that article. Okay. As in I copied and pasted and moved stuff around and then added stuff in I found from other sources. Great. So, that's fine. Katie Serena, great job on that article. I It was amazing awesome. and very well written. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive right into this episode for History of a Haunting. This place is bananas. This place is really bananas. And it's been featured on every paranormal reality show. It's been featured on all those fun Halloween shows that they have on Travel Channel, you know, in the month of October about creepiest destinations around the world this place is generally in the top 10 so I'm excited I'm excited to dive in and um, talk about this place because it's bananas well and another little bit of honesty I had not even heard of the place (laughs) until you suggested that we do it are you (laughs) I'm serious (laughs) now I don't watch these shows quite as religiously as you do but but I I I got some good, I mean, that Go Katie Serena, that was a bombastic article. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think that's really funny. I think it's funny that, like, everything that we talk about, like, you haven't seen The Shining and you haven't seen <laughs> Tombstone. So I think it's funny that you are learning about these places along with some of our listeners. And I want to actually thank you for doing this podcast with me because I know when I suggested it, the first words out of your mouth were like, are you drunk? <laughs> and I was. <laughs> but it still doesn't mean it wasn't a good idea. And so I want to thank you for, for hosting this with me because we've well, been having fun these last few weeks. And I, I really want to thank you for including me. You're welcome. My little introvert buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. What's All right. the history there? Let's get this going. Deep in the heart of West Virginia, surrounded by sweeping grounds and green lawns, there is a beautiful long building with a tall steeple in the center. It looks like an expensive boarding school or an attractively weathered manor house. It does! The structure is neither. Now abandoned, it was once the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and its halls witnessed atrocities that left their mark on the building and the surrounding community. Mm-hmm. For sure. The asylum wasn't always a nightmarish facility. In fact, when it was commissioned in the early 1850s, its conception marked one of the first hopeful developments in centuries for mental patients. Construction began in 1858, only to be interrupted by the American Civil War in 1861. Following secession from the United States, the government of Virginia demanded the return of the hospital's unused construction funds for its defense. Before this could even occur, the 7th Ohio Volunteer Infantry seized the money from a local bank and redirected it to help establish the reorganized government of Virginia, which sided with the northern states during the war. 
Wow. So they basically took all the money for, for the building of the hospital, put it toward the war effort? For the South, yes. For the South. And then... The 7th Ohio Volunteer Infantry, which sided with the North, seized the money from a bank. They're mm-hmm. like, no, bitch. <laughs> oh! Okay, I was confused. I'm like, wait, what? Who's taking all this money and putting it where? <laughs> okay, all right, I follow you. I but follow you. Um, the reorganized government resumed construction in 1862. Despite siding with the North, construction resumed with what was recorded as seven convict Negroes as the first arrivals to the project. Skilled stonemasons were later brought in from Germany and Ireland to contribute to the architecture that featured wide open windows and high ceilings. So wait, I have a question. Yes. So these, you said there were six convict Negroes? Were they being housed at like a prison and they were used to build the hospital? Or were they essentially building, were they going to be housed at the hospital? Well, they were the first arrivals to the project as construction workers. Oh, okay. Like on a work-to-release program type of thing. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I was confused because I know that the Yuma Territorial State Prison was actually built by the prisoners that were going to be housed there. So I didn't know if that was the same No, as, as far as I can tell, they were able-minded, able-bodied. Okay, and they were just prisoners from another location mm-hmm. work to... Okay, gotcha. So the building was the brainchild of Thomas Story Kirkbride a doctor and crusader for the mentally ill who founded what, in time, would become the American Psychiatric Association. God, that's good flying. Kirkbride (laughs) Kirkbride developed his requirements on a philosophy of moral treatment and environmental determinism. His many buildings were designed in such a way as to maximize sunlight and ventilation with grounds of spacious landscapes, sometimes maintained by able-bodied patients as exercise and therapy. Oh, cool. Following the admission of West Virginia as a state in 1863, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane and was the absolute model of Thomas Kirkbride's ideals. It could house 250 patients, each with their own comfortable room. It became the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America and reportedly only seconded by the Kremlin in Moscow, for the rest of the world. Really? The grounds were magnificent and sustainable, including a working farm, dairy, waterworks, gas well, and cemetery on its grounds, all of which coincidentally reached a size of 666 acres. Ew. It was a self-sufficient, state-of-the-art facility designed to make patients feel at home, well, well cared for, and restored. Ew. Well... Still, groundbreaking facility, self-sustaining, that's nothing we have these days. It's, that's, that's very true. Um, and I do, uh, because like you said, I do watch shows like this and am fascinated by this stuff. So I'm a little bit more knowledgeable on some of these different places. And the Kirkbride model of building is popular became popular all over the country. Dixmont in Pittsburgh was a Kirkbride mm-hmm. design. 70 um, we, 72 facilities in total. Yeah, some in, one in Ohio, there's they're everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, 
due to an increase in mental health diagnoses and the stigma surrounding the diseases. In 1881, the trans Lunatic Asylum found its tranquil facilities overrun, housing almost 500 more patients than ever imagined. At the time, its population included epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives. Wow. That's... Some, yeah. Some patients were innocent victims that were admitted to the asylum with a misdiagnosis or due to unfortunate circumstances. Some women were abandoned at the asylum by their husbands who were looking to claim an inheritance. Yeah, that is an unfortunate circumstance. It, it very much is. Yeah, this, this gets worse. Go with, on. with all of the additions of these unfortunate people, the hospital could not keep up. Conditions began to decline dramatically. Patients were crammed together with sometimes four or five to a room intended for one. God. The farm and the dairy on the compound, originally designed to provide for 300, were unable to meet the increased demand that came with overcrowding. Patients began to suffer from malnutrition with only exacerbated mental health issues. Oh, my God. By 1938, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was six times over capacity. The patients inside were running wild, and orderlies, outnumbered, struggled to regain control. At its peak in the 1950s, the hospital was holding 2,600 patients. Oh, my God. More than ten times the number it was intended to house. To expose the terrible conditions inside... The Charleston Gazette attempted to send in a crew to investigate the inner workings of the asylum. What they found shocked them. Patients were sleeping on the floor and in freezing rooms to a lack of furniture and heat. Oh, God, in West Virginia mm -hmm. in the winter? Yikes. The overcrowding had resulted in overworked staff and decreased emphasis on sanitation. <laughs> the that, ones, that's anything that you want to decrease the emphasis exactly. on. Exactly. Okay. The once bright, clear windows were covered with grime, darkening and further chilling the rooms. The wallpaper was peeling from decay, and where it hadn't disintegrated on its own, the patients had torn it off in panic. Yeah. Worse still were the patients' conditions themselves. Those whom the orderlies deemed unable to be controlled had been locked in cages in open spaces in a desperate attempt to make more bedrooms available for less worrisome inhabitants. Good God. In the 1950s, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum became a primary site of lobotomies as part of the West Virginia Lobotomy Project. Neurologist Walter Freeman, who had finessed the procedure into the popularly known version involving an ice pick through the eye, believed that lobotomies would cure all mental illness. Trans-Allegheny, still known as Weston, was one of four sites for the procedure. As many as 900 people were lobotomized there. Ew, gross. His ice pick method, which involved slipping a thin pointed rod like an ice pick into the patient's eye socket, used a hammer to force it to sever the connective tissue of the brain's prefrontal cortex, ha. resulting in several deaths. Yuck. Okay, you know what? Hang on for just a quick second. I need more wine yeah. because I just can't even deal with this episode. Yeah, I'm with you right now. My, my mouth is tired. Yes, this introvert is not used to talking. There. Shit, yes ma'am. Okay, all right, <laughs> give me a get it. The expose published by the Gazette spurred a movement to close the hospital, but it didn't happen until 1994 after more than 100 years of squalor. Yeah. 
Now, the once ornate building, intended for healing but destined for destruction, sits abandoned, as if the patient simply vanished into thin air. Rooms are still filled with medical equipment and decrepit furniture and wheelchairs sit in the hallways. Since 2007, tours have been made available for those who wish to see the asylum firsthand. Ghost hunters, the building's most frequent visitors, say they can feel the presence of hundreds who perished in shocking conditions. Some may deny that, but all agree the building serves as a reminder of a shameful past and an urgent call to do better in the future. Yeah, yeah. Love Heals Dog Rescue is a nonprofit organization that believes every dog in need deserves a second chance at a new life. Love Heals wants to partner with the community to help as many dogs as possible find loving homes while also helping dogs in need in the area, such as providing a last litter program where the mother dog is fixed and returned or adopted and all of the puppies are fixed, examined by a vet, microchipped, and adopted out to help with the overpopulation of dogs in the area. Love Heals Dog Rescue cannot continue to help the community without a dedicated foster network. Please consider becoming a foster and visit lovehealsdogrescue.org. Or find them on Facebook by searching Love Heals Dog Rescue. Help, help us, us be a, a part, part of the, the solution. solution. Trans-Allegheny's story is not reserved for just Trans-Allegheny. There are a ton of asylums that were around during that those same years that had the same problems. And it's not just reserved for this particular hospital. It was an epidemic throughout the country. And as I pointed out with the lobotomies, Trans-Allegheny, Weston, was only one of four sites employing that procedure, the ice pick method. Mm. Sharp, pointy object through the eye socket with a hammer. Yikes. I mean, can you imagine? You know, I can't. I literally cannot imagine. I I can't imagine it. Because when I get sweat in my eye, I'm freaking out like I'm dying. (laughs) So I can't imagine a fucking ice pick. Even the fact that, that things that we have better diagnoses for, such as drug addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. Or... Even autism. To autism, think that, epilepsy, yeah. To think that an ice pick through the eye socket with a hammer can repair that just goes to show you how uninformed well, yes. medical facilities were at this time. And I think I read an article that said that the discovery of Thorazine, because it was primarily, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in, in my portion of, of the episode, but that lobotomies were were done on on schizophrenics primarily or people who they thought were schizophrenics. But then once Thorazine was discovered, that's when the lobotomies started to be phased out, aside from the fact that they were cruel and inhumane and really didn't fucking do any good. Pretty effective at killing people. But was actually made the situation worse. Yeah. So. There There was a part of this report that I left out was talking about the only thing that the lobotomies did to add anything to the property was to increase the size of the cemetery. Yeah, I I left that out just because of that, but brought it back just for you. Thank you. That was was creepy and powerful, and I appreciate that. (laughs) 
<laughs> not so much, but thank you. <laughs> All right. So. Oh, good. Good Lord. All yeah. Right. Let me get ready for this part. Buckle up. My turn. God. Okay. So, as you mentioned, it sat on 666 acres, but it also had 13 buildings, in addition to being on 666 acres. So, you know, already they were stoking the embers of a dumpster fire. (laughs) Now, as you had also mentioned, it is a stone building, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I guess the stone walls were two and a half feet thick. To sustain the weight of such a tall building. Right. So, apparently, this leads to what is known in certain paranormal circles as stone tape theory, which is the speculation that ghosts and hauntings are similar to tape recordings, and that mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy and recorded onto rocks and other items. Oh. And replayed under certain conditions. Interesting. Yeah, it's called the stone tape theory. I had not heard that. I hadn't either. And but it does lend to the idea of certain types of limestone quartz being conductors for paranormal activity. Right, right, right. I mean, okay. it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So to expand a little bit more on some of the additional reasons that people were sent to Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, asthma. Epilepsy, asthma, asthma, epilepsy, autism, rabies, tuberculosis, vicious vices early in life. <laughs> I'm not sure. It didn't say how early in life. I don't know if you, like a toddler was drinking whiskey and that. I, I don't know like how early. The toddler sommelier. Yeah. <laughs> Love that one. Seduction, egotism. Oh. Bad whiskey, so if you were a toddler drinking bad whiskey, you was almost guaranteed to go into the asylum. Shame. Indigestion. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, you are kidding me or no? That's no, I'm real. not kidding you. That's an actual <laughs> reason that people have been put into this asylum. Um, doubts, <laughs> doubts about mother's ancestors. Loss of arm. Loss of arm? Yeah, arm. Now, it doesn't specify which arm. Uh, no legs. <laughs> I mean, you could lose your legs and still be it, considered, you know. I mean, is it literal loss of arm or is it like a figurative? No, literal loss of arm. Oh, wow. Okay. So I don't know if maybe like it's your dominant arm and then, you know, oh, well, crazy now. We'll put you away for that. Yeah, but okay, people were, people were thrown in here for seduction, egotism, and bad whiskey, so... I don't know why loss of arm sounds so ludicrous. <laughs> all right. Um, disappointed love. Oh, we're, yeah. we're all guilty of that. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. Death of sons in war. Reasonable. Okay. Yeah. Domestic trouble, which probably could. Yeah, which party? Well, I suppose I could probably like, you know, like hearken back to you when you said that husbands could just toss their wives oh, in. Okay. Um, and can, there was also um, wives who were disrespectful or talked back to their husbands oh. were tossed in into the asylum. Okay. Laziness. <laughs> reading too many novels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
which, uh, which which is I, probably women because you know women weren't supposed to read. God. Probably could be related as binge watching too many too many right? ghost shows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I see that point in what you're getting. Okay. Um, masturbation fits desertion of husband. And, um, yeah, those are the main reasons that people were sent to Trans-Allegheny. Um, God, I, I'm guilty of, like, six of these. Oh, another one was childbirth. So, yeah, that one I get. What? Oh. <laughs> that one for sure. Raising a teenager. <laughs> Raising a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that one I totally get. Yeah, I could be thrown in here for any number of these friggin' reasons. Uh, today... Now, yeah. now we're just left to deal with most of these things on our own. I know, right? Like, there are a lot of reasons that people should have been thrown into an insane asylum when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about a few of them the other night. Like, horrible clothing fads, like wearing a hypercolor t-shirt. <gasps> that could get you thrown. That should get you thrown into the insane oh, asylum. Geez. Parachute pants. Thanks, MC Hammer. <laughs> That's another one that probably would have warranted a trip to this, the uh, loony bin. What else? God, let's not go any further. <laughs> Voluntarily eating kale. That should be another one. That yeah. <laughs> gets you tossed in. What was the one you said the other night? Um, Owning too many cats. Owning too many cats. <laughs> hey, I share those cats with two other people. Okay, well, then you're all going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, two words. Boone's Farm. How dare you? Yeah. Don't attack my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you attack my childhood? Hey, the one that looked like antifreeze was really, really tasty. <laughs> what was that, friggin' hypnotic or? No, the Boone's Farm. There was a blue Boone's Farm? No, it was neon green. <laughs> oh, it was? Yeah. Yeah, see, I was just, you know, strawberry... Strawberry Hill. Strawberry Hill. There you go. Ugh. Zima, drinking Zima. That no. could be another reason you could get tossed into it. It still should. I don't, do they still make it? They, they brought it back. They brought it back. They brought it back. That's right. Yeah, and uh, the roommate was very excited for it to come back. Oh, really? For some reason. He didn't like it then. He said, oh my God, it's back. We have to get some. I'm like, why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nostalgia. Hello. Yeah. There's an episode of Friends, actually, where they're planning a bachelor party, and Joey's planning it, and he's kind of, he's planning it for Ross, and, and Ross is like, oh, yeah, we got to invite all my, my dinosaur friends from the museum or whatever, and Joey's like, okay, and he's writing, adding to the list, six-pack of Zima. <laughs> and whenever Jennifer and I see that episode, I'm always looking at her like, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, those are some of the reasons that you could be tossed into the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Aside from the genuine mental illnesses that people actually were suffering back then. Mm, yeah. But pretty much... They realized it's a way to dispose of the unwanted. Yeah, the homeless and just families that just didn't want to be bothered with taking care of anybody. Bless you. Uh, anybody, Koi just sneezed. Uh, bless you again. He sneezed again. Um, Good Lord, a mother's hearing is subsonic. It is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. 
Um, so yeah, any number of reasons why they were sent to Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and kind of uh, explains why their overcrowding situation became an overcrowding mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. since they were pretty much taken in every Tom, Dick, and Harry that nobody wanted to fuck with. Yep. Yep. So, some of the torture, I mean, treatments the patients yeah, received. Torture treatments. Mm-hmm, torture treatments. Ice water baths. Bloodletting. Oh, God. Yeah, which included leeches and oh. or just cutting the patient. Bloodletting has actually been a thing since the sixteenth time. Yeah, since the sixteenth century in the fourteen fifteen hundreds. Bloodletting was in the a, Roman times. Probably, yeah, yeah. Let's see what else. Where am I at? Oh, insulin and coma shock therapy. That was mostly like the ice pick lobotomies used on schizophrenics. The insulin shock therapy which was basically treatment where patients were repeatedly injected with large doses of insulin in order to produce daily comas over the course of several weeks or months. Wow. Yeah. Um, Now, as everybody knows, your body naturally produces insulin. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, you're You're diabetic. diabetic. These people, however, were getting insulin, whether they were diabetic or not. And I don't actually know if they knew what diabetes was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but yeah, they would be given large doses, injections of insulin to put them in a coma. Uh, Confinement cribs, confinement cages, like you mentioned, electroshock therapy, and the good old ice pick lobotomy. Uh, Some of the other treatments that patients received. Other common occurrences at the asylum during the era of max capacity Often the same bed was used by three different patients because they were forced to sleep in shifts. Patient suicides, murders, and rapes were common. Mm. In 1992, a patient named George Edward Bodie died after a fight with another inmate named David Michael Mason. And there will be more on him in a minute, so remember that name. Uh, Another patient named Brian Scott B. committed suicide, and his decomposing body wasn't found for eight days. Eight days? Eight days. In 92. Where he must have found a really good spot. You know, I I can't remember where they found him. It wasn't in one of the shared rooms. Yeah, right? In one of the beds where people were like, excuse me, it's my turn to sleep now. Yeah, no, he wasn't found there. And this is in the 90s. In the 90s. Yeah. Oh, shit. Like, you might think, okay, this was in 1902, all right, maybe. But no, 1992? Mm-mm. So the same newspaper investigation that you were talking about earlier yes. did find the asylum to be dirty and unkempt, with many of the patients left naked and confined to dirty wards with bathrooms smeared with feces. Mm. Yeah, so that grime on the window you were talking Not about? Not necessarily just grime. Mm, yeah. Many of the female workers were often raped. One nurse actually went missing while on duty one night, and her rotting body was found two months later at the bottom of a stairwell in an obscure corner of the building. In the 90s? Uh, you know what? I, nothing that I ever I read actually said when that, that particular incident occurred. Oh, God. Yeah. Didn't, she wasn't found for two months. Mm. So yeah, that's that's that little nugget. Yeah, yeah glass of another shot of wine here. Here we go. Yeah, let's take a sip. Hmm. Pour one out for that lady. Ugh. Yeah. 
Several fires were set by the patients frequently. That was a common occurrence, including one in 1935, which actually destroyed the majority of the fourth floor. I did read that one. Did you? Okay. Unruly patients were chained to the walls of empty rooms for weeks, if not months, on end. The more violent patients were kept in cages, and there are photographs of these cages online, and we will share them to our social media so that everybody can be disturbed like we are. Solitary confinement. The most uncontrollable patients were sent there for days or weeks at a time. There is a story that I came across where one patient who was a former boxer attempted to beat down the metal door that closed behind him when he was placed in a solitary cell. Oh, God. Yeah. He ripped the door off its hinges and left visible dents in the other door. When it was opened, he handed the nurse that he destroyed, or, okay, no. When it was opened, he handed the door he destroyed to a nurse, not a nurse he destroyed. Sorry, that, yeah, I'm just making shit up now. Oh, my God. I should probably stop drinking wine. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Not going to happen. Yeah, no. When they finally opened the door because he was throwing a hellacious fit. He handled, he handed the door he destroyed to a nurse and calmly went back to his room. So Trans Allegheny did have some notable inmates, the most notable one. In 1939, after his mother was arrested for being an accomplice to a robbery with a ketchup bottle, this guy was sent to live with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia. However, at the time, he was a fairly well-adjusted kid. He went to church often and he liked playing with other kids and friends outside. But by the time he actually got to live with his aunt and uncle, because his mother was clearly an upstanding citizen, Mm. um, by the time he got to his aunt and uncle's, he was already involved in petty theft and other crimes. At some point, he was sent to Trans-Allegheny for some of these, quote, other crimes, which, given the reason they take people in, it could have been... Could have been anything. Stealing a piece of candy to murdering somebody. Really. You just don't know. Um, this particular individual would go on to commit some of the most gruesome murders that the world has ever known. And this man's name was Charles Manson. Oh. oh, oh. Yeah. So he is probably one of their most famous former patients. Wow. Yeah. And they let him out. And they let him out. And yeah, we all know what happened after that. So there is a sign. I do want to go here. Going to be real honest. I want to go here. (laughs) Don't often get to West Virginia, but I am in Pittsburgh a lot, and it's not that far away. <laughs> anyway, so there's a sign in the first floor museum that states that over 50,000 people have died at this particular 50, location. 000. Yes. Um, all of the employees are without a doubt that this joint is hella haunted. One uh, statement that I read that I found really amusing was that you won't get Casper jumping out at you giving you a high five. But let me tell you what you will get. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Yeah, let me tell you why. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. My first place location that I'm going to talk to you about is located on the third floor in the bedpost murder room. It's called the bedpost murder room. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So in 1987... This room was occupied by two violent patients, David Michael Mason, who I mentioned just Mm. a bit ago, Mm -hmm. and James Woods. Yes. Not the actor. Oh. Yeah, not that guy. (laughs) There was another man, Dean Matheny, who was mentally impaired, deaf, mute, and 
by all accounts, he was known to be sweet, but he did have outbursts, which happened to land him in this room with okay. these two other guys. So David and James, the two that were sent there because they were criminally insane. Okay. Strung Dean up by a noose fashioned out of a bedsheet and hung him repeatedly. Oh, my God. Yes. When that didn't kill him, they laid him on the ground, placed the leg of the metal bedpost on his head, and jumped on the bed over and over until the post touched the floor after Dean's head had been completely crushed. That was so emotionally difficult for me to say, that whole Both were found incompetent to stand trial. Of course. And claimed a ghost did it. Sure. Uh, so Dean is known to haunt this room. He likes playing with ghost hunting gadgets, flashlights, by turning them off and on, etc., and has been able to speak and is often captured on EVPs. So he's a deaf mute in life. The deaf mute can speak. In his afterlife, apparently, yeah. Okay. He also uh, gives people gentle hugs. Oh. I know. Yeah, makes the whole thing horrible. That poor man. Yes. So, James apparently will surface if you offer him a cigarette and manipulate flashlights, which, fuck that dude. Right. Give him a cigarette. Mm. No. Mm. Um, it is interesting, there are a couple of articles that I read that David Michael Mason, James Woods, and Dean Metheny, obviously Dean is a more popular um, ghost that is said to haunt Trans-Allegheny, because he's a, a benevolent ghost and interacts really well. Uh, the other two, not so much, particularly James, not so much. But what I've, one article said I found was interesting is that um, they're all said Dean haunts the room he was killed in. You can also sometimes find James and David in that room too, but you'll never find the three of them together. Mm. Dean... If you, even men- if you even mention the name of the other two, Dean will go away. Peace out. Yeah. Which... Fuck those guys. You can't blame him. No. <laughs> you really can't blame him. <clears throat> so, that is the bedpost murder room on the third floor. Now, there's Lily, and this is a better story. Yeah. I mean, it is a dead child, but it's still a better story. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Lily's room is on the fourth floor in Ward R., her origin is uncertain. Many stories about her circulate. Uh, the most common and accepted one is that she was born in the hospital to a woman whose husband died in the Civil War. After having been in the throes of grief, the woman was sent to Trans-Allegheny and became a ward of the state. She gave birth to Lily, who was cared for and loved by the staff, and she died there at the age of nine from pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Lily is super cute. so lily actively communicates with people making her an intelligent haunt she will move objects when asked she likes playing games with you she has become especially close to some of the current tour guides and they're very protective of her and insist that she be treated with respect Um, there are a lot of places that you go to and people that you talk to that um, even paranormal reality shows that you watch where they will try to antagonize a spirit to get a reaction, just right. to get some sort of interaction. Something, something on camera. Yeah. So the staff of trans will not let you do this with Lily. She doesn't want to play. She doesn't want to play. They will not let you be disrespectful to this particular ghost, which oh, I, think nice. is, I think is very, very sweet. Let's see. Her room is filled with toys, and it is. Oh, 
We'll post pictures of Lily's room as well. Uh, she's been known to turn on a music box that has, you know, those old music boxes that has a little ballerina in it. Mm-hmm. She's got one of those. Not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. She's been known to turn that on. Um, she will roll a ball back and forth on the floor with you in a supernatural game of catch. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is kind of, I think that's kind of cool. This one is a little creepier. Uh, her giggles are often heard and captured on EVPs. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, she does remember and interacts with frequent visitors, interacting with them in specific ways. One investigator set flashlights around the room and asked her to turn them on when he wound the music box. One turned on, and then as the music slowed down, the flashlight dimmed, only to return to full brightness when the box was rewound. Oh, wow. So she loves this music box. Um, another another um, frequent visitor leaves small gifts for her and once left her a box of Cracker Jacks. And um, apparently later on, the box moved on its own. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And then an EVP, uh, when it was reviewed later, captured a polite, thank you for the snacks. Okay. Yeah, that's cute. That is cute. Uh, there is another ghost that is pretty popular. His name is William Cook. He was housed in Ward 5 and Ward 3. He took his own life about one year after being committed to the asylum. He died of shock after turning the hot water on in a bathtub and jumping into it, scalding many parts of his body. Oh. Yeah, that was, whew, that was a, mm, that's, Ouch. yike, yeah. That's desperation. Yes, um, this particular individual was known for being intensely demented. He has been found on those same ward, wards five and three. They're located on the second and third floors, centered around the shower rooms. He produces loud bangs, rolling and dragging noises, and the sound of footsteps in water. Okay. Yeah. And then there's good old Jesse Albright. Good old Jesse Albright. Good old Jesse. Now, Jesse lived there for seven years, and he died in 1949 uh, from a pulmonary embolism that happened while he was taking a bath. He is reported to be a talker and will whisper in guests' ears. No. He does answer to his name, also via a whisper in your ear. Okay. Uh, he does communicate through flashlights and the K2 meter, which is the um, electromagnetic meter that reads electro- electromagnetic frequencies in the room. Okay. Uh, he's known to drain batteries. And if you ask for him, you may hear a sound like metal clanking, like someone is hitting a pipe or a metal bathtub. Hmm. Yeah. So if you hear that, it's, usually it's Jesse. Then we move on to Jacob Ayers. Now, Jacob was released from the hospital in 1910, and afterward, nothing was ever heard from him after his release. He was a pretty significant alcoholic, and I do believe that that contributed to his mental illness. He interacts with visitors through a flashlight and a K2 meter. He also has been known to follow people around. (laughs) He can be cooperative at times, but other times he has also been known to growl at you. Jane Harvey is another is another uh, popular spirit there. She committed suicide in 1884 by hanging with a bedsheet. Visitors have co- complained of pressure on their chests and a strangling sensation. She's not one of the more pleasant ghosts mm. there. She does make her arrival known through a bitter chill in the air and spikes on the K2 meter. She has been recorded on EVPs confirming that she was a patient and died by suicide. The interesting thing about her is that historical records of patients at the hospital do show that this is true. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, this this darling little gem, her name is Ruth or Ruthie. Oh, God. 
Yeah. You've got your one and all your money. Let's slog one down for this particular ghost. So Ruth or Ruthie, when she was alive, she was housed she was housed in the ward for violent females. She was not a fan of men. Like at all. She would grow agitated when men would come onto the ward and scream insults at them and throw things at them. Bitch was not down with the homies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, she suffered a stroke and actually had to be confined to a wheelchair and hand-fed. One employee said that she would lunge at the nurses all the time after this point. Like, it didn't chill her anger and, wow. yeah, no. bad temperament. It didn't chill it at all. See, so apparently she's still not a fan of men in her afterlife. Men have reported being groped, slapped on the bottom, and pinched by, yeah. I don't know if she's not a fan of men, but she's doing all that. Mm, yeah. But, I mean, it, something that isn't there and is groping you and slapping she's you on the liking, ass is She's striking to, to strike terror. Exactly. That's going to freak you out. All right. Good job. Get it, girl. <laughs> a female employee uh, reported that she was walking through the ward that Ruthie was housed in and she felt somebody pull on her back belt loop and yank her backwards stopping her forward momentum the woman screamed because it, start it startled her so much and then she felt embarrassed because she knew who it was and she also knew she was the only person on that floor but still you know walking yeah, along yeah, and not, then not, not so good mm -mm, not at all and so Ruthie has She's also known to shove basically everyone. So she's a particularly violent, aggressive spirit. So those are the most popular ghosts that folks have had encounters with and that you would probably likely encounter as well. There are a bunch of fun other little situations, oh, activity. Yes, let's see. Here we go. Oh, um, no, we're going to talk about those. Okay. Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah, we are. I got one, two, three... I got, yeah, I got a lot of bullet points. <laughs> I, I ain't done. I ain't done. Here we go. So there are reports by employees and guests, including seeing full-bodied apparitions, shadow figures, and misty forms, moans, whispers, anguished cries, furniture moving, and finding nothing is out of place is very common. Thumping and banging noises are often heard. Squeaky wheels of invisible gurneys down hallways, which that would really just... That would irritate me. It would irritate me. <laughs> um, and then the signed and the south. No. What was that? Signed and the south? <laughs> no more wine. But I'm going to take another drink. <laughs> mm, okay. The sound and the sight of doors slamming. There are reports of people being touched and pushed. Hi, Ruthie. One person stated they were on the third floor of the violent men's ward, which I don't know if I could go in that, but anyway. And this person asked, why are you here? Later, upon reviewing their evidence, he got an answer back on the EVP replying, manslaughter. Oh, yeah. Literal, literal reply. Yeah, yeah. Another person who was on a tour was bored with the lack of activity. You know how well that goes. <laughs> So, bored with the lack of activity, this person made the bright choice to antagonize whoever might be there and said, if you don't like what I'm saying, why don't you come down here and shut me up? I didn't realize they allowed third graders to tour this place, but all right. <laughs> and then 
the entire group all immediately then heard very loud, very heavy footsteps coming down the wooden floor toward them. And when they all turned on their lights, there was no one there. Stop. Yeah. Why would you antagonize any spirit in a fucking lunatic asylum? Because people are assholes. Because people are stupid. You're right. They're dumb. People have been scratched. I hope it's some of these dumb assholes mm. that try to antagonize scary ghosts. One would hope. One hopes. Uh, one tour group was on the fourth floor and heard a massive crash. It kind of went on for a bit. They said it sounded like somebody pushed a metal desk down a stairwell. Like, it, that's that's significantly loud. Long term as Long, well. Yeah. So they all went to look. Nothing there would indicate what would have happened. There was nothing. There was no mm. stair. There was no... They even checked outside, thought maybe like a tree branch broke and fell on the roof. But if you look at the uh, building... There's no trees that grow by it, so they didn't. They had no idea what this horrible metal clanging sound was. So there's that. <laughs> and then finally, coming to the end of this. Oh God! Finally, finally, <laughs> a tour guide named Rob had a group of about eleven on his tour, and they were in Ward Two on the second floor. The group all heard this dragging sound coming from the end of the hallway. And when they turned around, they saw what looked like a man walking into one of the rooms down the hallway. So Rob, the tour guide, is like, that dude's not supposed to be there. So he went down there to ask what the guy was doing. And because nobody was supposed to be in that area. From the tour or otherwise. Right. Um, So he goes down there to ask what the guy is doing, and the group followed him. Because (laughs) that guy was already not supposed to be there. (laughs) So he was getting ready to get run out. Um, I, yeah, the group was like, we'll go with you. Cause oh, it's got to be a part of the tour. It's got to be a part of the tour that you didn't tell us about five minutes ago. <laughs> sure. Anyway, when Rob and the group got to the room, no one was anywhere around the area. So after that fun little occurrence, three or four of the ladies in the group peaced out after that and refused to finish the tour that they paid for. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Wow. Yes. Now, they are open for tours from March through November, so it's not year-round. They are closed on Mondays. They do offer tours from noon to 6 p.m., and I think it's on Saturdays. They offer tours from 10 a.m. to 6. The prices for their tours range from $10 for a quick 30-minute flashlight tour to up to $150 for a private ghost hunt that lasts eight hours and is overnight. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then and throughout those throughout those two ten dollars to one hundred and fifty dollars price ranges, they do also offer a number of historic and paranormal tours as well. If you are in West Virginia and you want to take, uh, you know, or close to West Virginia, Pittsburgh, hi Jen, road trip. You want to go down to Weston, West Virginia, and check out the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. You can visit their website, which is trans AlleghenyLunaticAsylum.com, or you can give them a call to ask more questions about the different tours that they offer and the pricing. Their phone number is 304-269-5070, and their office is um, their office hours for more information is um, they're open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So, like I said, I'm put some pictures of this creepy, amazing, sad, terrifying place on all of our social media. Wow. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's Trans-Allegheny. I was looking forward to doing this episode for a really long time. 
And then when I got into like the real meat and potatoes of it, I was like, Jesus Christ, now I need to be committed because <laughs> I'm kind of mentally fucked up and it's all the fault of this story. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I know What more words. can you say but wow? Like wow. it was just a really horrible, a horrible place. It didn't, like you said, it didn't start out being horrible no the intentions when it was built were well, fantastic good yes and, and and that was the intention for all of those locations but wide open windows wide open spaces mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the ability yep. to relax regain thought put your shit back together on your own if need be thrown out the window when almost immediately oh my god almost immediately so yeah it's just kind of um like, I feel like the world is on fire now in today's current climate. Mm-hmm. But man, like, my mom has a form of epilepsy. Koi has autism. They could be, if this were back then, thrown into a lunatic asylum? Well, uh, if, only, <sighs> if only the people caring for them could no longer feel that they were adequate. I guess, or they just didn't want to be bothered. Yeah. yeah. You know, I remember when Koi first got diagnosed... I remember being mortified because I had to fill out a ton of different applications for a ton of different services. And I mean, we had social workers coming to the house and interviewing me and and talking to Koi. And it was a really stressful time. And he was getting assessments by just every sort of department um, that the state of Arizona had. And when they finally did all of their assessments on him and they interviewed me and talked to his doctors and did all of this and they compiled what they found were their findings of my child. I can only imagine. Yeah. They called me and they said, well, we've got good news and we've got bad news. And I was like, okay. And the good news, it was good news, but it was still really trippy to fucking hear these words come out of this woman's mouth. And she said that Koi does not meet their minimum requirements for institutionalization, which was great. But I had no idea that through all of these meetings and visits and interviews, I had no idea that they were looking at my four-year-old as somebody that might possibly have to be institutionalized. I had no idea. So when she said that, I was so startled and kind of terrified that had I known you guys were going to be looking at him like maybe we need to put this kid in a hospital, I might not have applied for some of these services. I might have been scared because I was scared after she said that he doesn't meet those requirements. Great. But I was scared thinking, oh, my God, what if they had found that he needed to be institutionalized? That terrified me. To think that somebody could take my kid away. It was, it was, it was bananas. I know I've said bananas like 500 times, but it was bananas. The other, the bad Steve, news I was, oh, <laughs> he's just fine. He's always been just I fine. I love him so much. Oh, I love you too. He just hugged me. <laughs> that must have been such a nightmare. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that at all. I, a lot of my life in this autism 
community has been not what I expected at all in the most wonderful ways. But right. that in the very beginning, in the very beginning, I was, I was terrified. Um, and then the, the bad news of her side of what she was calling me for was that because of that, we also didn't qualify for any sort of financial aid. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was pretty bad news because it was expensive in the very beginning. So um, yeah, it's just weird to think that my, my child could have been put in a, in a mental facility because he had autism or, I mean, I, I get that, that what they're looking at now is much different than when they were in the forties or fifties or what have you. And they didn't know anything about autism, mm -hmm. but, um, God, now he's doing well and he's smarter than all of us. <laughs> now he's smarter than all of us and he's much more well-adjusted than all of us, which is great. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, that's my little personal story about, um, yeah, just super weird. Kind of crazy. Anyway. So yeah, that is Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, guys. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope it creeped you out a little bit because it really creeped us out. Yeah. Doing the research on yeah. this was a, was a tough go. But um, as usual, if you have ever been to Trans Allegheny, we want to hear from you. We want to know your stories, if you've had any experiences there especially. Um, we are planning future episodes, so if you have any good location suggestions, we've already gotten a bunch. Oh, have we? We've gotten a bunch. Oh, I know good. you've gotten a bunch. I have. But we want to keep them coming uh, because we're, we're hoping to be able to do this for, um, for the foreseeable future. So the way yeah. that you guys can help us with that is please leave us a review. That helps us be found better and quicker in searches. And it helps us gain more listeners. You can email us your stories or location suggestions at hoahpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, and any of those locations where we post the story, if you have any stories of overcoming a child with autism or any related materials or yes. suggestions, please Please share your stories. Yes. We love to read them. We love to encourage conversation. We absolutely do. That's very, very true. And I'm glad that you said that because... We can only make our community stronger by communicating. Exactly. Exactly. It, de it definitely takes a village. And I could not have gotten where I'm at. I definitely could not have gotten my family where it's at without the help and the guidance and the advice of others um, that have a child with autism or just any disability, um, it really helps. So there may be other listeners that could, could benefit from your stories and, and your advice. So please share those with us. Um, we absolutely will, um, relay those messages in a future episode when we recap. So yeah, Archie, thank you very much for mentioning that. That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for being you. Oh, thank you for being you. Even though I'm weird and I made you do, I made an introvert do a podcast on ghosts and hauntings. And, and now he's crying. <laughs> and now he's crying. All right, I got to go get Archie more wine. But we will see you guys in the next episode. The next episode is also going to be a little bananas. Ugh. Archie's not looking forward to the research on it. Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> he doesn't like to study or do homework. Well, I was talking about bananas. 
Oh, he doesn't like the word bananas. Okay. I've used it so much. I have used it so much. You're right. Okay. Okay, The next episode is going to be forthcoming. (laughs) Brain stirringly disturbing. Is that better? Is that better than bananas? I think we're going to need four bottles of wine. Okay. Wow. Four bottles. Jeez. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you're drinking. Oh my. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into this um, this week's episode. We really enjoyed bringing it to you. We hope you enjoyed hearing it. Like I said, please leave a review. That really helps us. And then be sure to follow us on all of the social media. Our handle on all of those social media platforms is H-O-A-H podcast. And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.